There's so much misinformation out there, honestly. Even really, even people who've been following this and who know a little bit about the science are confused because the way it's presented is as though a lot of this ideology or a lot of these incorrect ideas about gender are being presented as though they actually are fact. <laughs> Hey there, and welcome to episode two of Cancel This Podcast. My name is Angelo Sodoro. I'm going to be your host once again. Um, we are continuing the streak of really interesting guests. This week we have uh, Dr. Deborah So. She's a sexologist and a neuroscientist, and she wrote a book called The End of Gender. Um, she basically debunks a lot of myths about um, gender identity and other things that are currently uh, in the culture war. And she really sort of educates me, being someone who is grossly uneducated on the topic, on what is fact and what is myth and what is rhetoric. So I think you're going to find this really interesting if you're trying to understand, you know, gender identity and these new terms that are not familiar to us. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, Dr. Deborah So, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you know, I've been, I've, like I was saying right before, I've been following you for a while, and I know you just have this new book coming out, The End of Gender. And, you know, the topic of gender is basically verboten now, and that has led to a lot of issues, one of which being that I'm, I'm admittedly grossly uneducated in, in the topic. And I think, you know, it's so great to speak to an actual expert. I mean, you're a scientist, you're a sexologist. And who better to ask questions, basically? So I'm, I'm, you know, I might sound dumb at times, but basically I'm just trying to figure out what is going on with the current culture, and, and you're basically the best person to speak to for this. Well, thank um, you. And I, I'm sure, you know, you don't have anything to worry about. There's so much misinformation out there, honestly. Even really, even people who've been following this and who know a little bit about the science are confused because the way it's presented is as though a lot of this ideology or a lot of these incorrect ideas about gender are being presented as though they actually are fact. So I really, I don't blame anyone if they're confused. Yeah, and there's a lot of quote-unquote experts who study, you know, gender studies and, and will go on a program or will change curriculums in school. And a lot of people just take that at face value, whereas, again, with you, you're an actual scientist in the field, so you, you know what you're talking about. Um, so, I mean, to start right off the bat, is gender a social construct? No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's end, not. Okay. End of story. Done. Next question. End of story. No, Next question. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, so, it's it's definitely not. It, uh, for ninety nine percent of us, our gender is our biological sex. It's very much influenced by biology. That's not to say that you know we can say that's the case for every single person, and that there aren't differences on average between, um, or that okay, there are differences on average between men and women. But that's not to say anything about any individual person, and that's not to say that there aren't some women who are more like men or some men who aren't like women, or that environment plays no role at all, but environment definitely can't, or socialization can't override biology. Mm -hmm. And just to add a caveat to that, just so people know what we're talking about here, you're not an ideologue, you're not like the social conservative coming at transgender people or anything like that. I've, I know your stance on it, and for the record, you know, you, you'll use pronouns if people ask you to, you're, you support transgender people's rights, basically, right? 
Absolutely. I think trans people deserve equal rights, respect, legal protections. I do think transitioning is, can be beneficial for adults. We can talk about children and why I think children should not be included in that equation. But yeah, I have no issue using the pronouns that someone wants me to use or referring to them as whichever sex that they prefer. Okay. Now that we got that out of the way, we, <laughs> can, we can talk about the actual issues. Point. And we will talk about the kids. But, you know, I'm trying to reconcile this issue in my head, and, and I hope you can help you know, that side of the whole social constructionist side will push a narrative that, that gender is socially constructed. How do they reconcile the idea that gender is entirely socially constructed with the supposition that people are born with the wrong brain or in the wrong body? Doesn't that seem sort of contradictory? You would think so. And I think it depends on which... It depends on the particular ideology, because at the end of the day, these myths that I talk about in the book are very much ideological. So in the end of gender, I do go through nine different myths. So gender is a social construct. That's one of the myths. And so my sense is people who will say gender is a social construct. I mean, that's by and large what is being presented right now as fact. But say within that stream of thinking, radical feminists. Um, so they believe gender is a social construct. They also don't believe that there is such a thing as brain sex or that. Um, you can have the wrong brain sex in your body. So then they are very critical of trans ideology to the point where they don't, well, I'm not a rad femme, so I don't want to speak for them, but my understanding is that they don't consider there to be such a thing as being transgender because to them there is no such thing as identifying as the opposite sex or that there's a feeling of gender. I do think gender identity is a real thing. I, I do believe in the science that suggests that gender dysphoria is real. So these are people who identify more as the opposite sex than their birth sex. So that that contradiction, you know, it it can make sense from that perspective in that, okay, well, if gender is something we entirely learn, then there really are no differences in from that perspective in the brain, in which case being trans doesn't exist. But I think it's more if you look at liberal feminism, they will say they will go along with the narrative that someone who is trans has the wrong brain sex in their body. Um, that is, to some extent, there's some truth to that in that if you look at brain imaging studies, there is a shift in terms of people who are gender dysphoric, their brains um, on average are shifted in the direction of the sex they identify as. Um, but there's uh, that those studies are conflated with sexual orientation. So it's not clear to know whether those brain differences were due to them being gender dysphoric or due to them also being attracted to people who share their birth sex. So from a sexological perspective, which is the scientific study of sex and gender, um, someone who is attracted to someone who shares their birth sex so a trans person who is attracted to someone who shares their birth sex is considered gay. So if you have someone born male uh, who identifies as female, if she's attracted to men, she's considered gay from that perspective. Does that help to, to clear things up a little bit? Oh, for sure. I mean, look, again, I'm completely grossly uneducated in this stuff. So I'm trying to learn. And I think something else that's really stuck out to me is that there's been this divorce between what is considered sex and what is considered gender. So, you know, I, I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit on, on, I guess it's a new thing that's being pushed now, which is, well, we're saying the gender side is socially constructed and there is sex. Uh, I mean, in my head, there's just two genders, two sex. Um, is that correct? 
<laughs> yeah. So in the book, I also talk about how biological sex and gender are binary. They are not spectrums and they are biologically influenced. And this includes for people who are trans and people who are intersex. So I, I'm always amazed because some people will get very angry at me. They will say biological sex. Yes, this is real. This exists. But gender is a social construct. And I'm thinking, no, that's not, that's not correct. So like, as I said, for 99% of us, our biological sex is the same as our gender. And for that 1% of 1%, roughly people who are transgender or intersex. So again, this is biologically influenced still because it has to do with uh, exposure to prenatal testosterone, which masculinizes right. a person. Yeah. So I think the topic that a lot of people are talking about right now, and I've noticed particularly parents are curious about, but they're not allowed to ask about, um, is transgenderism in kids. I think I, I read a study showing that, you know, rates of gender dysphoria are growing exponentially. And, you know, I mean, even last night, Joe, Ro uh, Joe Rogan, Joe Biden held a town hall where he, he himself said that he supports, you know, an eight-year-old transitioning. So this is sort of mainstream now, the idea of, of kids, you know, going on certain medications and transitioning. You know, what, what would you say to a parent that, you know, doesn't necessarily want to ruffle feathers here and get their lives ruined? But at the same time, I mean, this is what, what is being taught. I mean, what are your thoughts on this entire new phenomenon of, of kids going through this? Uh, right. So I'll, I'll start by saying that there's a difference between gender dysphoria and being transgender. Children definitely can suffer from gender dysphoria, which is unhappiness around their birth sex. And as I mentioned, identifying more as the opposite sex. Um, that's not the same as being transgender. So what I really dislike is when people start calling, and I'm, I'm not faulting you for this, people refer to trans kids because transgender is an identity label. It's a political label. Children do not have the mental capacity to identify as, as trans because again, it's, it's taking on a particular political message with that. And I don't like when, especially medical professionals, refer to trans kids because they're now lumping them into this larger political agenda to essentially benefit the agenda of adults. So in terms of what the research shows, uh, all, of this, all of the research we currently have shows that the vast majority of kids with gender dysphoria are likely to outgrow those feelings by puberty. They're more likely to grow up to be gay in adulthood and not be transgender. So it's really not appropriate for them to be transitioning prior to puberty because again, if they're going to outgrow it, any interventions that they undergo or, or even a social transition will be completely unnecessary. Some people will say a social transition is harmless because no permanent changes are being made, but social transitioning is actually associated in the, in the research literature with persisting, so going on and, and later transitioning medically. So it's it's also, I think, very difficult for children. This has been documented where kids will say it's it's difficult for them to go back to identifying as their birth sex after even just a social transition because they've been asking everyone in their lives to call them by a different name to, to address them as the opposite sex, and now they're changing their mind, and it can be quite embarrassing and shameful for them. So people often overlook that when they talk about this issue. It, I, in my mind, it's completely inappropriate for an eight-year-old to be transitioning, period. Um, there are cases of eight-year-olds going on interventions like puberty blockers, which uh, I think is, is way too young. I understand why parents are going along with this, though, because parents of these kids, they are being told that their children are at a high risk of suicide if they don't transition, which is not true. 
Um, and, and also for parents who may be critical but are afraid of being ostracized or being told they're transphobic, I mean, I guess it depends if it's your child, if it's someone else's child. Um, I would say if it's your child, I mean, this is, I hear from so many parents who are in this position, not just with the prepubescent kids, but we also see this wave of, of older children. So older adolescents and young women who are transitioning very quickly to either male or a third gender. And the parents really are at a loss because they, they can't say anything. They're called transphobic or they're called hateful if they do. Um, and now we have also in Canada, Bill C-8, which is going to criminalize any therapeutic interventions that do not facilitate early transitioning or transitioning period. So, I mean, my, I guess my advice to parents would be to try, number one, do your best not to alienate your child if your child is going through this. Keep the communication open. I don't do clinical work anymore. I don't work with these children, but from conversations I've had with my colleagues who are clinicians, it's really important that parents and the most important thing is just having a good relationship as much as you can with your child while going through this as difficult as it may be and to not center the relationship around gender to to you know encourage the child to explore other hobbies or other interests or other things that have no, have nothing to do with their gender and not really focus so much on that as as a key part of of your relationship or of your child rearing um yeah, and I, I would I would say to to take the child to a, a good mental health professional, but it's it's really difficult now as we see, you know, with the laws are potentially changing. Um, clinicians are very much they don't really have much of a choice. So a lot of the good clinicians are leaving the field because they they don't feel that they can do their work ethically. And if it's not your child, then I would say you'd be surprised at how many parents actually will agree with you if you are. Um, if you do voice how you feel, although I would probably say I think it's easy for parents on the outside to see these parents who are allowing their kids to transition and to cast judgment on them and say, how could you allow a child to do that? You know, you don't we don't let our kids decide what they want to have for dinner. We don't let them drive or drink or get tattoos or anything like that. And you're letting them live as the opposite sex and potentially undergo these irreversible medical interventions. But I think until you are in that position, I mean, I, I know all the research and I still I'm not, I'm not one of these parents. I feel for them so much. It's a, a really difficult decision for them to be making. Mm -hmm. And it comes from love, right? I, th I think that's what a lot of people forget on, you know, when we have these big social media stories and we're all attacking each other. I think it, it is just their love for their child. If they're seeing that their child is hurting, as a parent, you just want to do anything to make them happy. Uh, and especially when you have, quote unquote, experts saying, hey, this will help, you know, let's, you know, here's a, a prescription this will help as a parent you're going to do what you can you know you mentioned uh, bill c8 uh, i mean there's a famous case here in british columbia which even has a publication ban where a father i think was contesting in court um, against calling his child um, his child who's now transgender um, their new pronoun and he now by law has to do so otherwise he could end up like going to jail so it's kind of serious where it's it's seen as like this human rights issue, but at the same time, parents are, are sort of lost in this. And there's just this culture of, you know, it's ironic that I'm saying it, but there's a culture of intolerance to questioning it. And I think that's, it, it divides people a lot. And I think what I, what I really like about your book is that it is something a parent or just about anyone could pick up and read and you're not ideological. You're not trying to like sell 
you know, a new mantra in the place of, of, of gender or anything like that. You're just a scientist laying out all the, all the facts. Um, so, you know, something else I wanted to ask about, because the, the, the kid thing is a big issue, but another big issue in terms of current events is transgender athletes. Um, this has been a major topic and it's been almost kind of crazy to see where you have situations like in Connecticut where you have this girl's um, track team and all these girls are losing to transgender girls who are just shattering the records. So, I mean, you talked about the social sort of issues that arise out of this. I wanted to get your thoughts in terms of the actual women. What do you think the effect is when you have transgender athletes? And what do you think the advantages are for transgender athletes? Right. Um, I just want to mention also with Bill C8. So I think I want to clarify that with the when they say conversion therapy and they refer to conversion therapy bans, I have less of an issue um, about conversion therapy bans for sexual orientation because sexual orientation is something that cannot be changed. Um, so if you are gay, viable. right. So if you're gay, you you can't or bisexual, you can't make yourself become straight. So I think it's been very smart and savvy on the part of these activist groups to lump in gender identity into that and to claim that gender identity is the same as sexual orientation, but it's not, especially not for young children, because as we see, it's possible for young children who identify more as the opposite sex for that to change over time and with development as they get older. So that's why it's not appropriate for one, for them to call it a conversion, to call it conversion therapy if a therapist tries to understand a child's gender, and then also to, to lump that in with sexual orientation and to ban both across the board because they're not the same. Yeah. And then also what you're saying with, with the book, I really did aim to write it in a way that the average layperson could pick it up and understand it because, you know, I think even coming from a perspective of being a former scientist, you can have the best study, you can have the most rigorously done methods. And if no one understands what you're saying, it's a complete loss. So I really wanted to write the book in a way that is very accessible to people. All the citations, all the studies I talk about are in the book as a resource. And so people can use those studies and use the end of gender as a way of saying, when someone says to you something ridiculous like gender is a spectrum, that you can point to this and say, well, actually, here are the studies showing otherwise. So with regard to trans athletes, you know, I, this is a very, very contentious issue. And, you know, I mentioned in the book how people will stay quiet about um, gender neutral language. They will not make a fuss about tra uh, children transitioning. But with sport, they will be people are more inclined to be vocal about how much this upsets them. And I think because they see, I mean, it's, it's right in front of their eyes, essentially how unfair this is for the female competitors um, in terms of potential advantages. The, the way the narrative is, is being um, unfolded, it's as though if someone who is a trans woman gets on estrogen, then that completely changes any potential advantages that she has over a competitor who is female and not trans, but that's not true. And I, I do want to say that whenever I talk about this issue, I want to be very careful. You know, it is a very sensitive issue. And by pointing to, because I have a chapter in the book um, that talks specifically about differences between trans women and women who are born women. And I, I don't want that information to be used to justify any sort of discrimination against trans people or trans women. 
Um, and it feels insensitive even for, when I talk about this because it's as though I don't want it to seem like I'm telling trans women who they are or, or what their intentions are or anything like that. I understand sport is about community. It's about essentially you know, going in, for a lot of people, just going and having fun. Um, so I understand why it can feel really abrasive, I think, to tell someone you don't belong in this category. But when you're talking about elite sports, it's really not fair for the female competitors who have been training in some cases their entire lives for these opportunities. And there's a lot on the line, excuse me, a lot on the line for them. Um, so the Connecticut case, yeah, I think is going to be a landmark case. And it's interesting because when I look at um, the media coverage, some people are saying, how come they are so focused on trans girls competing against girls? Why are they not also upset about trans boys competing against boys? And I just think to myself, are these individuals so completely clueless about biology? Or, I mean, I guess you must really believe that this is just about discrimination and trying to stigmatize a particular group. Otherwise, why would you think that would be a concern? So I, you know, it, maybe it comes down to people actually thinking biological sex is a social construct. So I, you know, I talk in the book about how that's not true. It's, it's just so ridiculous. And I, I really wish that experts were able to talk about this from a fact-based perspective and to say, yes, these differences exist, but we can still come to some sort of policy that is inclusive. And that is going to be hopefully a level playing ground for everybody. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned there where, why aren't we talking about trans men? I think that that may be evidence that a lot of people are not acting in bad faith necessarily when it comes to this, where they may genuinely believe that people like you are somehow, you know, trying to discriminate when that's clearly not, not what's happening at all. And, you know, again, I think you're sort of... Uh, really the perfect person to talk about this because you don't strike me as someone who is conservative frankly you, you strike me as someone who's scientific i know you used to to write for i think playboy you're not someone who's trying to push an agenda you're just trying to be scientific and you're being supportive of of transgender rights so it's a great it's a great starting place for people who want to read a book that isn't just going to be you know rhetoric um, but yeah, you know, I, cause some, excuse me, no, yeah, sorry. Some, some of the feedback I've gotten, people have said to me, they're really surprised at how balanced I was in the book. They said that they really thought it was going to be some sort of tirade or some sort of, uh, political, um, propaganda, I guess. And I don't know why they would think that. Cause if, if you read any of my work to date, I don't think that's the sense that most people would get. I, I consider myself politically liberal, but I don't think it should make a difference, really, because science should be impartial. It should be objective. And it, with all of my work, I, I do my best to present it in the most objective, factually based manner possible. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, to, to, trying to end it on an optimistic note, what does the future look like for this topic? Because you're saying that we can't talk about it in public. Um, even experts are afraid, parents are worried. I, I mean, what does the future look like and what do we have to do as a society to really make life better for everyone, including transgender people? I think the turning point is going to be when 
many of these children who are inappropriately transitioning start detransitioning. We're already seeing this in the UK where there are hundreds and hundreds of these young women, born female, identified as male or a third gender, and then have gone back to living as female. And they're saying, why didn't mental health professionals ask me these questions that were very important instead of taking on face value my desire to transition so for these young women in a lot of cases they have other mental health issues you know they have eating disorders some of them are on the autism spectrum some of them are lesbian and they said that they experienced homophobia and they didn't like the fact that they were gay um, a lot of them have sexual trauma. So we're not talking about those issues. And when those issues start to come to the forefront, because these kids will say, and when this comes over to North America and we start seeing the same, uh, same trend of, or effect of these young people detransitioning and saying transitioning didn't actually help me because I have these other issues that were not dealt with, that's when I think there's going to be a, a reckoning. And then people are going to start to actually listen to those of us who are trying to bring attention to this. But I think in terms of society, just know that your skepticism, I mean, the feedback I've gotten from the book has been so overwhelming to me because I just was, I was just hoping that it would resonate with people, that they would find it useful. And just people from all walks of life, it really doesn't matter what vocation you have, what your hobbies are, where you live in the world. I'm absolutely amazed at like the, the people who've reached out to me saying, thank you for writing this. This has helped me so much. Um, just know that you're not alone. So many people, I would say the vast majority of people actually agree with you and your, and your skepticism. And, and also for scientists, I really wish that scientists would have more of an ability to speak out because I really think that's the only way it's really going to change when other experts start to say, you know what, these quote unquote experts who are pushing this agenda, they are full of it. But, um, you know, the, the, the climate right now in academia is, is pretty bad as I write in the book. So I think we're just going to have to wait it out a little bit longer. But, but I, I, I'm optimistic. I think it will get better. It's just going to get a lot worse before that happens. Right, right. Well, you know what? You're you're a trailblazer in terms of academics, and I think a lot of people are gonna are gonna do what you did and eventually come out. I feel a little less stupid about the topic now, so uh, I thank you for that, and I recommend everyone to go and buy the book. Um, we'll link it in the description. We'll link it in the article. And uh, yeah, Dr. Deborah, so thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so that was Dr. Deborah So. She's the author of The End of Gender. Um, it's available on Amazon. That's where I got my copy from. Like I said, it's a really good book if you don't have hours and hours available to you to just research this topic heavily and you just want a good, easy, quick read that is objective. And that's what she gives here. She, she's a sexologist, she's a neuroscientist, she's a scientist. So she knows what she's talking about. And if you're interested in the topic, I highly recommend you pick up the book. Now some news, um, as you know, if you're watching this, Cancel This is on YouTube, but we are now on Spotify and iTunes. So if you're really sick of looking at me and you just wanna to listen to my soothing voice, um, you can follow us there and listen to audio only versions. So that's all for now and I'll see you next week.